Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. If you haven't got the chance to meet, um, my name is Will Plunk, and I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Grace City Church. And uh, I will be down front after the service and would love a chance to meet you if you're newer to our context. We just hadn't got to meet. Um, I had someone come up and they said, because you said, I came up and I said, thank you. I'm not just standing down here sad looking for somebody to talk to. I appreciate that. Um, uh, we are, uh, we really do want to be a family. And we're talking a lot about that this morning in our text. Uh, before we jump in, though, our elders and staff really have been praying and talking over the last couple of weeks and really uh, felt the need for our church body to give a word on politics and voting, because midterms are coming up. So buckle in your seatbelts. Y'all feeling good? Yeah, yeah, okay, here we go. Yes. Um, but seriously, we do. We, we as a church committed a long time ago. We didn't want to be a place that buried our heads in the sand. But instead, we wanted to be active and engaged, uh, not with telling our people how to vote. We feel no pastoral responsibility towards that end but equipping our people to think biblically and to participate in all areas of their life for the glory of God. And so that's how we feel responsible. And so we just want to kind of share some resources and some vision uh, behind that. But let me start with the story. Um, it's interesting to think back about when you like first started to become aware of politics, um, especially like in your family of origin. Uh, some of us, because of the family we grew up in, we have responded in the exact opposite direction than our parents, right? And so we go home, and it's like, all right. And others of us, we've embraced it. Um, <clears throat> but I was thinking about when I first kind of started to have an idea of politics creating division and isolation. It was from a story my, my dad told me once. My dad's a pastor, and it was in a more traditional setting. So the last hymn, uh, he would kind of uh, recess out. And then he would be next to the door, door shaking everybody's hand as they walked by, which I was like, we should do that at Gray City. That'd be fun. Um, but he, he would shake everybody's hand. And he told me a story once of one of the members uh, walking out and just looking at him and saying, hey, pastor, I, I don't see how anybody can be a Christian and vote for a Democrat. And uh, my dad's not very confrontational, so I think he's just like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Next hand. You know, it's like interesting, you know, those are how those conversations go at the shake of the hand as you leave. Um, funny enough, though, my dad was a Democrat, you know, so this is what this is what's funny is because unbeknownst to that member, uh, he was looking at his pastor and saying, hey, pastor, I don't even know how you were Christian. <laughs> that was kind of funny. But here's what I think is true is that person is giving words to a sentiment that many of us share. Like, we have opinions or thoughts, and oftentimes we can't imagine how Christians could have a different thought than we have, come to a different conclusion than we have. Like, it feels like, uh, it feels impossible that people could think differently than us. We did a, uh, a six-week class on politics, bi biblical politics, just kind of talking framework and having conversations two years ago. And people took a survey before they started. This is in our church. Had about 50 people participate. People took a survey. And about a third of the people identified as Republican, a third of the people independent, and a third of the people as Democrat. That's at this church. You know what that means? You got people next to you in your community group who think differently than you do politically. 
Like, oh, what? You're right? Like some of you were shocked. No, no, you're not. You're like, this is odd. But, but here's, here's literally what it means. It's like they're also Christians, I think, right? Like I, <laughs> they're Christians. And, and we have to go, okay, what does it mean for us to have our allegiance first and foremost in our citizenship in heaven and then think about how to steward a much lesser thing? which is our American citizenship. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but I am saying there's something that matters way more, and it's our citizenship in heaven. And we don't have, and this is like, this is where we feel responsible as uh, your leadership, is uh, like, I don't feel, again, I don't feel any responsibility to tell you who to vote for. Uh, but we do have a responsibility to go, what does it look like for us to leverage who we are for the glory of God in all areas of life. That's what the scriptures say. Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. This is literally what that means. If you're in Christ, you do not have the right to vote your self-interest. You don't. You don't have the right to vote your self-interest. You don't really even, you don't have the right to vote your opinion. You don't really even have the right to vote your conscience. You have the right to scour the scriptures and vote according to your master, which you believe he would say. And so as a church, we want to equip our people to go, what does it look like for you to scour the scriptures, you to ask the Bible questions, you to engage there, and then try to participate for the glory of God. So that's, that's our thing. I think one of, the, one of the challenges, though, for, I think, this conversation is um, two things. One is we don't know people, and two is we don't really know people. First one, we don't know people. Some of us like to just kind of exist in little echo chambers, you know? And like, and that's what media does to us, right? Literally, that's how the algorithms work online. And while your Facebook feed sends you all the videos you like to watch, right? And it's just the same stuff. And it's trying to really get you to kind of get staunch in a particular position. And so sometimes that's what we're doing, and we're just around people who are talking the same as us, and, and we're starting to kind of forget or miss the fact that there might be Christians who think differently. And then others of us, we don't really know people, like that kind of member with my dad, haven't actually taken the time to do what James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Think about if we just did that as Christians politically. People would be freaking out. You hear those, those Christians were listening. That was wild. Like, they actually wanted to hear somebody else's opinion to make sure we don't have bias, to, to be vetted. Like, like, here's the thing, like, and this is why we wanted to talk about it, like, is because if we, like, silence allows opportunity for Satan to get a foothold. So if we think we can just be silent and then we're going to start doing what God wants, I think we're confused. Instead... We need the community of saints in all areas of our life to be shaping us and refining us and to make us look more like Jesus. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, we're going to send out some resources. Um, some are, two of the resources we're going to send out, email to you, um, are from a series called Cultural Captivity. We did this series uh, two years ago in 2020 when things were on fire. And um, uh, we did this series. We talked about, we had sermons on race on money, on politics, and on gender. And uh, it worked so well that 50 people left our church <laughs> for theological issues. 
other reasons too, but just for theological issues. Um, and literally about half of them left because they felt like our views on justice and race were too progressive and liberal. And the other half left because they felt like our views on gender and sexuality were too conservative and traditional. And I've, we felt that sounds about right, honestly. And, um, and what we want to do, though, as a church is to go again, what does it look like to ask the Bible what it says? And so we're going to send out two sermons, and we're asking every single one of our members to listen to them. Like, listen to them in kind of a pretty soon time period. Uh, because the second thing we're going to do is we've already told your leaders, and, um, but we are asking all of our community groups in uh, the next couple of weeks to months to talk about politics in group. And some of you said, okay, I'm going to find a new church, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, you're like, that sounds awkward. And, and we just wanted to say, welcome to Grace City Church. This is what we do. And the conversation is not going to be perfect. Your leader is not going to steward it perfectly. That's not the goal. But the goal is to say, like, let's not let Satan get a foothold, and let's start treating other people like they're made in the image of God, and let's listen well and ask the Bible the questions. Um, you can't have that conversation unless you first listen to the two sermons. I'm serious. Like, we're going to tell your leaders, like, that don't, that, to not let you in unless you first listen to the sermons. Because we need to make sure, again, we're not coming in kind of just with like, oh, I'm, some of y'all be like, I'm excited. And others would be like, I don't want to be around that person like that. So we just want to make sure the lens we approach it is biblical. Um, again, let me show you a resource we're going to send this out to in the email. But this is just a little framework. And all it is, it's called a Grace and Truth Bullseye, something we put together to think about how to approach political things. And it is not in any way give you answers. All it does is it gives you some scripture and it helps you ask questions about like where image bearers involved and how are they being treated? What, what is good and what is right? Like you can take questions like sanctity of life. How do I think about that in a holistic way through this framework? How do I think about justice in a holistic way, equity in a holistic way? Like how do I think about these things? And we just want to be a church, again, that leans in and, um, and talks about this kind of stuff. Although imperfect. We want to do it because we don't want to be in captivity. Uh, last verse I'll give you, and then we'll pray and get into it. But there's a verse that kind of inspired that series we did two years ago from Colossians 2.8. And it says this, see to it that no one takes you captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elementary spiritual forces rather than on Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. And here's the truth. We don't want to be a church where your pastor and leaders are captive and are just pontificating partisan ideology. We don't want to be that to you. But we also don't want to have people who are being discipled primarily by politicians and online. We need to be discipled by the word of God in the community that God has given for us. So, y'all in? We'll see how many people show up to group. All right, let me... Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, we do just ask that that spirit of division that so often occupies political space, trying to divide your people, we just pray that somehow, Jesus Christ, through your power and by your love, you empower us to be a church that listens. You empower us to be a people of God who, who don't just assume we're right, but learn to start asking 
your word more questions and listening to what you have to say. Being willing to change our opinions based on your word. God, please help us because we need your help. Please refine us because we need it. And we just pray as we look at your word this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would do what you do, that you would, you would turn your face to us and you'd shine upon us and your word would, would move in us. In your name we pray, Jesus Christ, amen. amen. <clears throat> All right, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We got four verses this morning, and I'm looking forward to this morning's text. It's been convicting for me personally. You know, we talk about as a church a lot about how good community is, because the Bible does, right? Like how good it is to live in community, how sweet it is to live in community. But my goal this morning is simple. I want to make the point, because Paul does, that good is too small a word to use to describe the community God has for us. That good is, is too small a word to describe the community that God has for us. As we look at the text this morning, the, re- the words used to describe community are hope, joy, crown, and glory. So here's my question. Do you glory in community? Do you glory in community? Glory in it. Look at verse 17. But, brothers and sisters, fam, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. So, but, brothers and sisters, again, remember that admonition of brothers and sisters is used 19 times in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Over and over again, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the authors, are saying, we're family, we're family, we're family, we're brothers and sisters. But here he says, when we were separated from you, felt like we were orphaned. Some translations will just say divided or separated, but the word in Greek is literally the word that we get our word orphan from. That's the, it's the same, that's where our words der- derived from is this Greek word, orphaned. And Paul is saying, when I was not with you, the separation, it felt like, it felt so excruciatingly painful, it was like I lost my parents. And then he says, out of our, at least this part, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Intense longing, we made every effort to see you. So here's something we've asked every single week. See if you got it now. How long was Paul in Thessalonica, where this church was planted, when he planted it? Three weeks. You got it. Awesome. He was there three weeks, and he's been separated from them for a a couple of months to a year max, and that's when he's writing this letter back, all right? So he was with them for three weeks, and he's saying, now that we're not together, I feel orphaned, and I have an intense longing for you. Can you imagine going on dates with somebody for three weeks and then them using this kind of language to talk about it? You know, it's such a good time. I feel orphaned. When I'm not with you, I have an intense longing for you. I make every effort to see you. Like, you would be like, listen, I am not going to reach out to this person again. Ghost, this is what ghosting was made for. That's literally what you say. Like, we've been in groups for how long now? Like a month? Can you imagine this text message from your group leader? I have an intense longing for you. 
I'm making every effort to be with you at group. When we're not together, I feel orphaned. You literally would be like, I am leaving this church. I can't go back, literally. Like, we'd say, that's not healthy. Yet Paul, literally, he says, this community matters so much to me. Not being with you is like losing the dearest of familial relationship. It is like I'm orphaned to not be with you. You know, I'm an adoptee, so I have an interesting relationship with the word orphan. But I met my biological family 30 years, uh, when I was 30 years old. And one of the things we talk about a lot is like, well, what would, you know, there's great joys and beauties to being adopted, and there's losses. One of the losses is, again, being stripped from that family. And things we'll talk about is like, what would it have been like if to have been there for each other's, those moments, you know, like for marriages and kids and losses and all those kind of things. And there's something about it that's almost like, it's, it's surreal and it, it's almost like heart sick because you're like this, fa- we're family, but we weren't there. And this is kind of the idea he's getting at. We, because of what Christ has done, we're family. And to not be together is excruciating. There's a heart sickness that comes from being separated from my Christian family. Do we know this is the vision that God has for community? Like, like to, be, to be so attached that to be separated from one another would create a heart sickness and it would be like we're orphaned because of how close we are. Like, do we have this vision? Do you have this feeling? Like, again, I was just honestly praying through this text, thinking through this text. I'm like, maybe I have the wrong, I've had the wrong view about community. Like, one of the things we intentionally did as a church when we were launching new community groups, literally, this is what we did. We're like, hey, we want to make sure that people's expectations aren't too high. So, like, let's just make sure people don't, you know, think community is going to be like the end-all, be-all. So we'd say things like, hey, you know, when you get the group, you're going to get there, and you might have these high expectations, but everybody's going to be regular. You remember us saying that? Like, everybody's going to be regular. People are going to sin against you. You're going to get hurt, and you're going to hurt some people. And we're trying to, like, lower the expectation to, to recognize, like, community is not the end-all, be-all. But then you read a text like this, and you kind of go, it's not that that's not true. Like, we will be hurt. There will be wounds, and all that's very legitimate. But yet, Paul is saying there is a deep, affection, familial love that exists in community that God intends for us to have because it's in his revealed word for us. Do you know this? Like, a longing for each other. An intent, not just a longing. What's he say? An intense longing. You ever talk about people in the church like that? I don't ever talk like that. But that's the language the Bible gives us to talk about community. He says, when we are separated from you for a short time, parentheses, in person, not in thought, that idea is like in appearance, but not in heart. We were separated from you physically, but you were always with us. And that's why he says things in this letter earlier, and he says it in a lot of his letters, honestly, but he he says things like in in chapter 1, he said, we prayed for you continually. Or in chapter 2, we thank God for you constantly because this church is in his heart. 
It's like, although we're not there in person, you, you're always on my mind. It's almost like he's vexed thinking about the family of God. He can't get him out of his mind. This is what he thinks about. And again, that's a question for us. Like, what do we think about when we think about, the, like, do, does our mind drift to it? That, that's one of the reasons why I think, like, we can feel like it is such, so superficial to use the words family to describe the Christian community. And the, if we just talk about family and we see everybody on Sunday and then we don't see them throughout the rest of the week. You know what I'm saying? Like, here, look, we're family of God, but then Monday I don't talk to you. Tuesday I don't talk to you. Wednesday I don't talk to you. And I just see you, and we just kind of have those superficial conversations, and then we go about our life. That's why it can feel so superficial when we say we're family with our community group if the only time we spend with our community group is that time where we have to be there. Like, when the group meets, if it's only those two hours and you just come in, and even if you have the most great conversation and then you check out and there's never any texting there's never any prayers like it reveals something because Paul says I am I am thinking about you like even when I'm not in person you're in my heart like from this type of desire and longing that exists in the family like communication would just overflow into the people of God outside of even the moment we're physically together because we're there, not only like texting and communicating like that, but prayers would abound in the family of Christ. This is what he has in store for us. In person, but not in thought. Again, what else does he say? Out of our intense longing, look what he says. We made every effort to see you. Y'all know what every effort means? Every effort. That's what it means in the Greek. It means every effort, like there was striving to do this. He kind of says this idea three times. We made every effort to see you. We wanted to come to you. And then, in, and then he says, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. You made every effort. I wanted to come to you. And he says, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. He's like, three times we're striving to get to you. Like, we want this. And... This desire is not purely an emotion, but it's manifesting itself in physical action. There's an effort to be made towards community, to strive to be together, an intense longing that should be made manifest towards a physical, like, let's get together, let's be together, let's not forsake the meeting together. Why? Because of how he ends verse 18. We made every effort. We wanted to see you. Certainly I, Paul, did it again. But Satan blocked our way. Do you know that Satan wants to block the fellowship of believers? Like our battle is not against flesh and blood. Get a verse for you, a slide, Ephesians 6. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the evil heavenly realms. And some of us are more used to that verse, right? Like, so we think about our, 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 our struggle not being against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual forces. And it's not to say that there never can be a human struggle, but it's saying it is so much against the spiritual evil forces that it's as if it's not against the fleshly plane at all because of how significant the spiritual plane is. And for many of us, you know, you think about that idea of like spiritual warfare and, and Satan wanting to 
to really tempt us and challenge us. And, and for many of us, it's the idea, right, like that Satan wants to take a truth about God and supplant it with a lie and tempt us to follow him down a path and to give in to sin, to give in to temptation. And so we feel like we got to, as the scriptures say, resist the devil. And, and so we're trying to resist in that sense. We don't want to be tempted or we think about it in regards to advancing the gospel and the way Satan will kind of put up barriers and we feel like we can't get through them. But this text is saying not chiefly think about the way that spiritual warfare happens in regards to temptation or even advancing the gospel, but that Satan is trying to fight us spiritually so we don't live together in unity. He's trying to block Christian fellowship. Do we know this? Like he's literally trying to put up blockade. That word block in our text is a term of warfare. Literally, it's a military term. It would have been used to describe sometimes the way soldiers would come in and try to block opposing forces. It's like this is who Satan is to try to not get us to be together. Like, like Satan wants the married to think their life is too crazy that the single would never want to be involved. And the single to think that they have nothing to offer the married. Like, like Satan wants to sow a seed of division inside of us so that we isolate ourselves and think, I'm the only person like this in this community. To be so self-focused that we, we only think about how am I being treated here and we can't think about somebody else. Like Satan wants you to have no healthy relationships with mentors or mentees. Like literally where he would just mess up the, the people you serve under or anything like that. Like he'd mess up the authority and sow seeds of division. Like Satan is so committed to this. Like you think about it. Satan is so committed to this. I very much believe this idea is why we have segregated churches even today. It's because Satan is so committed to ethnicities not being able to come and really live together and worship together. I'm going to have a conversation after the service today or the 9 a.m., just with somebody who said, you know, like when I first came to this church, I thought it might not be for me because I'm older. Like that's what Satan wants. To isolate you, to cut you off. Literally, First, first Peter 5 says that the devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone he might destroy. The imagery is like the lion coming at a herd. What kind of animal does the lion come at when, when there's a herd? He tries to get one of the animals by himself so he can devour that one animal, don't he? I, mean, I remember being in Kenya and seeing all these lions chase this warthog. That warthog was all by itself. The lionesses, they were awesome, but they went after that warthog. I seriously want you to think about it like this. Like, what he is doing is he's saying we, like, like this text doesn't tell us how Satan blocked Paul from getting there. But it does tell us that Paul is so certain that humans or nature were not the chief cause of the hindrance between his fellowship with the church in Thessalonica that he can say in Scripture, now that we have it, that it was Satan who blocked our way. So I was watching Parent Trap the other day with my girls. Any of y'all seen Parent Trap? Throwback. My wife was out of town. I'm like, we're going to watch Parent Trap. 
great movie. Lindsay Lohan, what's up? And uh, so we were watching, introducing them to Parent Trap. I grew up on Parent Trap. And uh, y'all remember the movie, these, you know, these two girls, like the movie's kind of based around them uniting uh, their mom and dad back together. But in to, to do that, they're dividing the relationship of their dad with this soon-to-be stepmom. Y'all remember? And so these girls are doing whatever they can to divide the relationship, like whatever they can do. Like they're sowing seeds of like lies in there. Like they put a salamander in her water bottle. Like when they're camping, like they take her mattress out and put it up uh, uh, on, the, on the lake. And so she wakes up on the lake. And she's like, oh, it falls it. Like these little girls are just doing everything they can to divide the relationship. And here's what's interesting is like without them, that man and that woman get married. But it's this third party that actually sows the seed of division that separates them. And here's what this text does for us. Here's what it introduces that's so important. It's because we can think the thing that's blocking our fellowship and our community is, is either the church or the person or me. But this says you shouldn't think about it just it's the person or you that's stopping you. You need to know that there is a third party at work trying to divide you too. So it might not be, the problem might not be with you. And it might not be with them. It might be that Satan is blocking the way. So what does this mean? Here's what it means. Here's a question for us. If we understand the way that Satan actually does this, how is Satan sowing a seed of division right now in your life to block fellowship between you and your Christian brothers and sisters? What's the seed he might have sowed? Maybe it is about something that's unique about you, something distinct about you. Maybe it is that you don't belong. Maybe it's that you just can't seem to let your mind let go of something somebody did to you. You know, one of the ways I feel like we know Satan's at work is when the problem is so much it's just disproportionate compared to the issue. You know what I mean? It's like someone said something or did something, but you just, I don't know if any of y'all like me, but it can like get in your crawl. It's a Richard Brown, throwback, Richard Brown. Like it gets in your, like you can't, you're like, why, why can't I stop thinking about this? And you, you say things like this, I know I should forgive them, but. I guarantee you that Satan blocking your way, Satan divide, Satan sowing a seed of division in you. Satan blocked their way. Here's one thing too, you know, like we talk a lot about just in Christian s- spheres about how um, God opens and closes doors. You know, you're like, well, I was doing this, and then God opened a door, and it was a promotion, and so I stepped on through, and this was amazing. You know. Where I was trying to do this, and this opportunity stopped, and so it was a closed door. God closed the door. Do we know Satan can open and close doors too? Do we know this? Just because the door is open don't mean it's God. And just because it's closed don't mean it's God. Satan be opening doors, and he be closing doors. You read Matthew 4, the opportunities Satan presents in front of Jesus. You're like, oh, Satan be opening lots of doors for Jesus. To which Jesus had to say no. And Satan be closing doors in our text too, but what does this mean? I mean, just because you have an opportunity doesn't mean you should do it. And sometimes we have the opportunity to get the promotion, not realizing that the promotion, like, 
Like, you just think about even move. It is, it is, it feels like oftentimes it is not even a question that if we get an opportunity to move for a job, we will move for a job because it's a better opportunity. I'm not saying you should never do that. I'm just saying if that is that obvious to you, I don't know if you're asking the Bible all the questions you need to be asking the Bible. Because Christian fellowship should be a huge part of how you make decisions. Huge part. Doesn't mean you don't do it. Paul was constantly managing this tension of the mission on his life, which was to go plant churches, and his love for the fellowship that he would leave behind. He was constantly managing that kind of tension. You hear it in his writing. But just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean that God wants you to do it. And just because it's a door closed, get this, doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to keep pressing forward. Paul says, I made every effort. I'm trying again and again. I want to be with you. And what is this? Here, let me make it plain for a second. Here's what this means. Just because you're like, I try, I'm trying it, group. I'm trying to be vulnerable. I'm trying to be honest. And I don't feel like people respond. That doesn't mean God's closing the door and you're not supposed to engage in the community and fellowship. That is not what that means. Just because it's hard doesn't mean God doesn't want you to do it. That's like an American Christian thing we got in our head. They're like, because it's hard, God wouldn't want us to. God's like, Paul's like, I made every effort to see you. It's Satan who stopped me. So we just got to think about what are those places maybe that God wants us to continue to strive and continue to fight for community. Because Satan's trying to divide us. Look at 19. So what Paul does in the text that we're in is he talks about his, his great love for them. He's orphaned. He has a longing for them. He talks about Satan stopping them. But now he's going to say, even, again, I'm not with you in person, but I want you to hear how I really feel about you. And that's what you get in 19. Listen to this. I think this part's crazy. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Like, that's such a big question. What is our hope and our joy and our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Like, if, you, if we could remove the end of the sentence and we just kind of heard that part, I wonder how we would naturally think Paul was about to answer. Like, what is our hope? And we think about hope biblically. Hope is like is, is, is putting faith in what God has promised. And usually it's like hope of eternal salvation. We think about joy. We think about gratefulness that transcends circumstances that can't be taken away from us. Like that kind of joy, typically a joy we have in God. We think about a crown. Typically the crown is referred to this prize that God will give his people, when they finish the race, just like an athlete who's finished a race, who's won the prize, and the crown we get won't perish, but it will last for forever. And he says, in which we glory. Like, typically, when we think about those things, I, I would naturally think to answer the question, oh, who, what is our hope and our joy and our crown in which we glory? Oh, that's, that's the Lord of Lords. You know, that, that's the Prince of Peace. That's the name above all names. Like, it's Jesus. Like, I would, I would think to say, it's Jesus. But he says, is it not you? And almost as if he knew the church of Thessalonica would be like us, he says, indeed, 
you are our glory and joy. He doubles down. Good is too small a word to talk about the community God has in store for you. This text says a word that's more fitting is glory. To glory in the community God has for you. Isn't that incredible? Like that there's these words that would typically be associated with new heavens and new earth, honestly. Like, like again, I don't know about you, but if, but if, this, if this passage wasn't in the Bible and people talk that way about people, I would say, I think that's not right. I go, I think you should reserve only those words for, for God. Like, that's what I would say. But he says, joy, crown, glory, associated with the people of God. Do you glory in community? Do you have expectation for God to do incredible things in community? Do you know that this is, like, the idea presented here is this idea of when Jesus comes back, Paul's going to be like, look at us. You, do you hear the end time piece? Like, our hope, joy, and crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. So it's a, a future reference. Like, Jesus is going to come back, and Paul's going to be like, look at Thessalonica. Look at our relationship. Isn't this, like, this is what he's going to present before God. Like, again, we think about good works or whatever, and we think about presenting things we've done. Paul's like, it's the people. It's the people that I'm presenting. Again, Paul's like a father or, or a, sp a spiritual mother. He's like, it's the people. And I would be remiss not to, like, make one of the application points have to do with ministry because this is a ministry in which Paul has labored to pour out. And he's saying at the end times, like, like I'm going to say, Thessalonica, look at our Jesus. Look at them. Look at our relationship. Look at what's, what's happened through them. Look at what God has done in our family. Like, this is supposed to be. Community is supposed to be one of our most treasured possessions that we have. Do you glory in community? I want to, Banny, come on up. I want to read you a quote. This quote is from um, C.S. Lewis. It's, we honestly probably show this quote a couple times a year because it's so helpful. But I, I want you to hear this quote and think about it as it relates to community. It said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is offered or what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I like this quote because it's saying we're kind of fooling about in this kind of lesser stuff when God's trying to offer us something so much greater. And I wonder if this is true for us as it relates to community. Like maybe we actually don't have high enough expectations about what God wants to do in our church family. Maybe we don't have high enough expectations about what God wants to do in the relationships he wants to build with you and your sister or brother in Christ. Like, 
maybe you've kind of gotten accustomed to just go, you know what, like I'm known a little bit. I have some pretty good relationships. I feel pretty known. And so you stopped kind of going, no, I'm actually going to lay my whole heart out there and say what my deepest desires are. So much so that I could be hurt. Maybe we've stopped making every effort because we feel like the effort isn't returned. And we're like, this doesn't feel reciprocal. Instead of being like, no, I'm empowered by Jesus to continue to make the effort because I believe God has something in store for our community here. Like maybe he has something even greater in store for us in this Christian family and Christian community than we could ever imagine. So I'm pray for us. We'll get a chance to sing some songs. Father in heaven, we do, we do ask that you could make us and form us into a community that we could never be had not you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come die on the cross, shed his blood, his blood make us a son or a daughter through grace, and then also make us a sibling. God, we pray that all lies from Satan, all all strongholds would just be demolished right here and right now, that you would truly tear those things down and make way for fresh fellowship. We ask Jesus that, that we would really be a family, that we'd really be a family and we'd, we'd find you, Jesus, meeting some deep needs through each other and that you would empower us to, to serve and care for one another with love, with a listening ear and a merciful spirit. And we wanna be, we wanna be a city on a hill, God. We wanna be a light to this world. We want that to be a light because of our Christian fellowship and Christian love. So God, in your name and through your power, may we glory in community. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.